I told Beverly earlier that in some way she had the easier part because I had to speak right after this. And when she hit the first note as we were beginning our warm-up, uh, there were very few dry eyes. We were all just crying. Thank you, Beverly Andrews. We bless you and appreciate your being here with us. If you're visiting today and if this is your first time, my name's Pastor Steve and I want to welcome you. And um, I want to give us just a couple of announcements this morning before I introduce um, our guest, Elliot Temper. Um, if you would take your bulletin and open it, uh, let me just highlight a couple of things. Uh, if yesterday was an amazing day, uh, we had 102 people that came together for breakfast to celebrate uh, those who are veterans in our midst, five of whom were World War II uh, veterans, and it was a very special time. So uh, we are very thankful uh, for that time that we had yesterday morning. Um, I mentioned in prayer uh, Debbie Lewis' uh, graduation uh, into the realm of heaven, and her celebration service will be this Wednesday here in the sanctuary at 11 a.m. Um, a couple of announcements here that I just want to underscore. If you're interested in finding more out about um, our ministry and how you can be a part, we will have our Next Steps um, membership luncheon next week. That's the 20th, and that will happen right after this service in our fellowship hall, um, it would be helpful if you would uh, call the church office so that we can prepare food. But we'd love to have you there um, and hear more about the mission that God has given to his church in the world uh, in these days. Um, on that same day, next Sunday at uh, 6 p.m., you'll notice that little brown uh, block to the left as you're looking at your bulletin. We're having a mission Sunday fun day, so that's obviously a dessert when we're going to have a number of our missionaries gathering uh, in the fellowship hall, and uh, you're invited to that um, as well. That's next Sunday, the 20th at 6 p.m. And uh, let's see, uh, one more announcement, and that would be Power Camp. Michael, why don't you come and share just a word uh, with us about this past week's Power Camp and what went on there. Thank you. Do we have any coaches, power camp coaches here? Let me see some hands. I know I saw a few up here. But well, we have had another just um, special, special week at camp. And Friday morning I was sitting in my office right down here. And uh, Friday is a big day because every day of the week there's a theme. And the themes culminate Friday morning with an invitation and an opportunity for the campers to open their hearts and accept Christ Jesus and really begin this best friendship and this intimate walk with our Lord and Savior. And so I like to spend a few minutes just sort of in prayer and in preparation. And I was doing that, and I had my radio on my desk. And my radio crackled to life and said, Coach Michael, will you come down to the office? A parent wants to talk to you. And so I said, okay. So I, you know, I stand up, and I go down to the office. And there's a parent standing there, and she's got tears streaming down her face. And she says, I don't know if you know me or remember me, but you coached my child in soccer a few years ago. And you gave both my boys scholarships this past week. And um, I've lost my job, and things are just really hard, and this week has changed the climate in our home. 
my little boys come home and they are so filled with joy and excitement and they're singing camp songs and they're talking about their new friends and they're talking about their coaches and she's just I mean I'm I'm overwhelmed standing in the hallway here just just listening to her but this is why we do camp you know it is a summer camp but it is a vehicle and it is a tool to touch people because every person matters to God every one of those kids that come back there have a name a smile and a fingerprint and that's why we're doing this stuff. And uh, we had 181 campers last week. Is that awesome? And I think the, the, the best thing that we're doing, even more than the campers, is that we are discipling a group of about 60 coaches. We're working with them day in and day out, and we're seeing them grow and become, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, we've given out 69 scholarships to date, full or half. Um, you can continue to support that if you'd like to. Um, we had 38 campers who dedicated their lives to Christ last week for the first time. Isn't that cool? So that means in the first three weeks of camp, 98 campers have given their lives to Christ Jesus and will spend eternity in heaven with us. Thank you all for your continued prayers and support. Keep wearing your wristbands. Keep praying for us. And let's keep believing that God's going to keep changing lives. Thank you, Michael. Well, I think most for most of you, Elliot Tepper will not need an introduction, but some of you um, may not know him because you may be visiting. Um, and I've known Elliot and his family since the mid 1980s, and he has been both a friend from distance and also a mentor uh, to me. He's been a father to many of us in this congregation. And um, when I heard that Elliot was going to be here uh, and to visit uh, David and Naomi, who were taking some time off before they relocate to Spain, that is my understanding of their um, future, um, I said, Elliot, would you be willing to share the word with us this morning or whatever God puts on your heart? And um, Elliot is one of those amazing guys that he has in his heart the understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. And if you've not read this little book, it's one of which he has read, and the name of it is The Cost of the Kingdom. You can get it on Amazon. Now, this isn't a plug for his book, but I happen to know that's where you can find it, and some of you will want to. It is a very powerful and hard-hitting, uh, but it's, it is life to the soul for those who are no longer interested in just uh, comfortable Christianity. Um, Elliot has given his life for the gospel Oh, I won't embarrass him anymore. <laughs> Elliot, why don't you come and tell us? You're in, a, you're in approaching a hundred, if not over that, metropolitan cities in the globe. Uh, so you feel free to share any of that with us. Uh, give a hand, a warm welcome to Elliot Tepper, would you? Thank you. Is that right? Praise the Lord. It is so good to be back home. Myrtle Gove is our spiritual home. Um, we really started here, and we have so many friends, family, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters here in the Lord. Uh, 
I'm just so grateful for Myrtle Grove and my family. Um, I have to thank Myrtle Grove because um, without Myrtle Grove, we could never have stayed on the mission field these last 30 plus years. Uh, you're our principal supporters. You're our, our very best friends. You've stood with us in times of victory, crises, and uh, through all kinds of tragedies. And we love Myrtle Grove. We need Myrtle Grove. And I don't have words enough to thank you for who you are and what you've been to us. Um, I'm a returning missionary. I'm home for a month from Madrid. And returning missionaries should give a report and tell people what's happened. I know many of you follow us in our newsletters. Uh, this year, I had to speak at two WEC International, Worldwide Evangelization for Christ, uh, conferences. One in Italy for our Eurocon, for all the WEC European leaders, and at, uh, in Korea at our Intercom for all the WEC leaders in the world. We're probably about the seventh largest mission in the world, about 2,000 WECers. David and Wayne are, are WECers. And uh, so as one of the WEC leaders, I had to speak in Italy to the um, European group and then to the worldwide group. And beginning the report on Battelle, I said to them, uh, there are two dangers when I begin to speak today. The first one is that as I tell the Battelle story, I will boast. And then the second one is that when you listen to me, you'll think I'm boasting. <laughs> so let's try to avoid, <laughs> I don't want to boast and don't think that I'm boasting. Because this, this is the story. And this, these, are, these are the basic statistics of what's happened in these last couple of years and in the last 30-some you know, years. This, this is the whole unembellished, simplified truth. Now, we went to Spain in 1983, 31 years ago. We had gone to Mexico in 1978. You know the story because of my university background in economics at Harvard and Cambridge. In Lehigh, I, I began to teach economics at the University of the Americas in Puebla. And God gave us a great move among the elite, the university people, the wealthy in Puebla, which grew into Amistad Cristiana, which has 120 or 30 churches, many with more than 1,000. The principal church was 6,000 in Puebla today, and uh, they related, stayed related to us. But when we went to, we called to Spain in 1983, we left the elite in Mexico behind, and we began the same ministry in Spain. It didn't work. The Spaniards weren't interested, the elite. But a group of people, the outcasts and the drug addicts, were interested, and they began to respond to the gospel. So we turned from the elite, the upper class, and we went to the outcasts, people with AIDS, drug addiction, um, criminality. And God blessed the ministry. Uh, in 1985, we started the first Patel group in our home, in fact, probably in David's bedroom. And uh, so he's been there from the very beginning. And then we started our first community in Lindsay McKinsey's flat across the street from us. Today, 29 years later, we have Battelle communities and churches in over 100 urban areas of the world. And Estonia will be our 25th nation, which just opened in July. So we have more than 100 communities, and we have 45 full orb churches in the world today that started from one converted drug addict in Madrid 29 years ago. And over this time, more than 200,000 people have come to live in our communities. And, you know, they've passed through our doors and lived with us for a season. Uh, right now, every, we ha this week, we have 2,300 people living in a Battelle community in the world. 
Now try to imagine if you have a, you know, a halfway house with 8 or 10 or 6 or 12 people, what's involved in 2,300 people in 100 communities in the world. And uh, we don't like to count, but we, we have over 450 Battelle properties in the world today. You know, we own about 50 or 60 of them. Some are free, lent to us. Most are rented. Uh, there, some are, you know, we have large residences for men and women. We have flats. We have church buildings. We have a, over 140 charity shops. We have farms, income-generating projects, all kinds of that. 450 properties of Battelle in over 100 cities of the world. And um, we've created income-generating gen- businesses to just try to imagine taking care of uh, something like that. So we, we, we produce about 95% of our own costs with our income generating projects. We still need about 2 or $3 million a year donated, but only 95% of that, uh, of the, the 30 plus million we need, we can generate ourselves with the addicts working in programs and businesses that we've created. David had a very successful little store in New York City. I think it was elected the best antique store in New York City last year. Is that right? Okay. I'll give him applause for that one. Anyhow. Yeah. yeah. We can't wait till David gets to Madrid because David and Wendy are going to revolutionize our Battelle businesses in Madrid. But um, recently, the Conservative Party in Great Britain honored the five most uh, dynamic charities in Great Britain. They chose Battelle as one for the British Parliament. Uh, just two weeks ago, I was in Battelle, Nottingham. It's, we, we have a, a property called the Manor Farm in Sherwood Forest, the real, actual Sherwood Forest. No, really. And uh, we were trying, we had an open day. We were raising, trying to raise some large amounts of money to buy the, the Manor Farm. And we had the Bishop of Nottingham. We had the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> we did. He's called it. And uh, we, we had the Queen's Lieutenant, the representative of Queen Elizabeth. And after the open day and all the testimonies, the Queen's representative came to me and he said, don't take out a bank loan, we'll help you buy the property. Wow. Now, um, uh, in the last couple of years, the Indian Army has built us two properties in the tribal area of eastern India because we're such a good influence with all the uh, difficulty. So we're receiving all kinds of um, favor from men. Uh, new Battelles that are starting. We are just about to open Battelle of Burma. We have a Battelle in India on the Burma border. We can cross back and forth. We're about to open our uh, third center in Mongolia on the Mongolian border. There are more people in Inner Mongolia than Outer Mongolia. We are allowed to go back since they're tribal people, nomadic people. We have our first Patel in China. We've just opened this month Patel of Estonia after the, with the difficulty in the Ukraine, and they kicked our people out, and they wouldn't let the uh, Russians back into the, who started Patel of Ukraine. We sent them to Estonia. So they kick us out of one country, we open another country. Uh, Patel of Belarus is about to open. And uh, just in the last couple of years, well, we had to make a, a declaration for WEC of what our goals were for the next decade. And so we got together with the WEC missionaries last year, and we, or two years ago, and we came up with 58 new cities we're going to enter in the next decade. And, so, and when I, I looked at that, I said, you know, there are only a few of us WEC missionaries. Most of the workers are Battelle people who have come through the program, our pastors. We have over 120 ordained pastors now. 
I said, we've got to talk with the, with, with the Betelitos because we can't just tell them what we're going to do. They're going to do the work. And so I presented the vision and the 58 to them, and they rejected. They turned it down. They said, we're going to 108 new cities in the next 10 years. That every, so uh, how did all this happen, and why did it happen? And there are two simple answers. The first is the grace of God, and the second is that the Betelitos, our people, are very needy, broken people, and they've been changed by the grace of God. Now, I'll stop boasting right now, and I'll preach. So that's where we are in a nutshell. We're still, you know, and I don't, I tell people, I don't work anymore. I've, you know, I'll be 68 in August, and um, I don't work anymore. I tell them I just talk and eat. And I don't. I don't work. I used to work. I just talk. And I said, no, I'm exaggerating. Sometimes I drink coffee, too. You know, I do. I do. You've got to be, you've got to be honest. You can't exaggerate. Okay, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask you to speak to our hearts. Minister from on high, Lord. Minister and touch us and inspire us through the living word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, uh, for, the, for those who speak Spanish, the title of the sermon, this, I preached this, just this sermon about two weeks ago in Spain. It's que digan que andaba yo con gigantes. Que digan que yo andaba con gigantes. I won't translate that to later on. But the Apostle Paul said, well, no, the Apostle, in 50 A.D., in Athens, he stood up and he preached on the Mount of, uh, of Mars, the Colina de Martes, a sermon to the Athenians. And he cited a pagan poet to support his Christian message. If you go to uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, uh, the Apostle Paul stood on the Mount of uh, Mars, he spoke to the Athenians, and he quoted a pagan poet as the text of his message. And he said, and I'm, I'm going to be translating from Spanish, you, you may have a, a similar translation, I don't know which one you're using. He said that, for in him we live and move and have our being, or have our existence. For, okay, because in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, we are... Okay. Let's let me read it. Go right there myself. Acts 17. For in him we live and move and have our being, our existence, even as some of your own poets have said, we are also his children, his workmanship. Now, uh, this verse, verse, these thoughts are apostolic but they have their origin in pagan poetry. Uh, would you give me the liberty to begin my sermon today with a quote from another pagan poet? Is that okay? Okay. Uh, and I, I'm referring to the greatest Greek poet of all time, Homer. And uh, he's the greatest poet of Greek literature. Uh, he wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. And uh, the Odyssey is the story of Ulysses, or Odysseus, the great uh, king of Ithaca, who uh, went with the other Greek kings to the, the, the Trojan War, 
10 years in the war and then 10 years returning from the war. You know, the, the, the Iliad tells the story of the, the Trojan War, the Odyssey, the return of Ulysses and his crew to Ithaca. And at the end of his life, when he's old, at the end of his adventure, he says this. And it's really, it's been uh, uh, edited by, by Hollywood. You can, you, it's actually in, the, in, the, uh, in Troy, the movie, the film Troy. Have you seen Troy? Yeah, some of you have seen Troy. Okay. And he said this, this is uh, Ulysses, Odysseus, at the end of his life, looking back at his, the Trojan War and his adventure and his odyssey. And he says, if they ever tell my story, let them say I walk with giants. Men rise and fall like the winter wheat, but let them say I lived in the time of Hector, tamer of horses. Let them say I lived in the time of Achilles. If, I, if they ever tell my story, let them say that I walked with giants. Now, in the classical Greco-Roman world, the principal virtue was courage or valor. And the highest good, the highest goal was kleos in Greek. Kleos, which means renowned or glory or fame, to be remembered by men. If they ever tell my story, let them say that I walked with giants, that I attained unto Kleos, that I was remembered by men for all that I did. Now, uh, courage and the pursuit of Kleos, of glory and renown, was the principal virtue of the classical world. On the other hand, the principal virtue of the Greco-Roman world was love or agape. And, and the principal good, the highest good, was to seek to obey God and to conform your life to the life of the God of love, agape. See, on one hand, the classical world, they were seeking renown and praise from men. And the Greco, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, but in the Judeo-Christian world, men were called to seek God, the love of God, and to conform their life to the love of God. Two tremendous, a great contrast. Now... Uh, the word kleos is found only one time in the Bible. Now, it sounds like I'm getting too literary and too uh, pedantic with Greek. This is how I preach to drug addicts. So, I'm giving the same. <laughs> we, also, we have also become the principal readers of the body of Christ in Spain. More, we, we buy more books than any other church in Spain. And our people have no education. So, if you pre- this, is, this is how you, we preach to drug addicts. Hallelujah. I'm not, no offense. No. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Kleos uh, is found only one time in the Bible. And it's, it's interesting because the, the, the most important concept of the classical world, the, the principal goal of the classical culture of Jesus' day and Paul's day was to see Kleos, and the word Kleos only is found one single time in the New Testament. There, there, there are dozens and hundreds of references to, to fame and renown and glory, but there are other Greek words. But kleos is only found one time, and that is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And Peter says this. He says, for what kleos is there? For what credit, for what glory, what renown is there? 
If when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So Peter is saying, uh, you know, there's no kleos, there's no glory, there's no renown, there's no fame if you do ill, if you do evil, even if you suffer with great courage. The great conquerors of all time, you know, Achilles was a great conqueror, but he was immoral. Alexander the Great was a great conqueror, but he was immoral. Stalin, Hitler, great conquerors, but they were immoral. The, the great men of history that have done great exploits, some were good, some were bad, most were, you know, at best neutral. Very few were very good men. He says, so what glory is there, what kleos, if in all your suffering, in all your courage, you just attain the kleos? Uh, but if you, but if you can um, suffer for God, doing, obeying God and conform to His nature and His love and His holiness, then there's glory there. See, it depends on how, what you're suffering for and what, you know, what your goal is. Is it just human renown or is it to please God and be conformed to the nature and the life of God? Uh, and so 1 Peter 2.20 is a totally opposed to the concept of kleos. Achilles, he attained to great kleos, doing evil. He was arrogant, he was cruel, he was violent, but he certainly did not please God. Now, uh, Achilles was very far from the spirit of Christ. How many people here know how Achilles, how Achilles finally took his decision to go to the Trojan War? What happened was, very simply, he consulted with his mother, who was a demagogue, she was a nymph, and she told him, she said, he said, should I go to the war? I'm going to get back to the Bible, I promise. <laughs> Forgive me. I'll leave you. And, she, and, she, and uh, should I go to the war? And she said to him, she said, that if you remain at home and you, live, you will live a long life, a good life, with your wife and your children and your grandchildren, but no one will ever remember you. And you but you have Cleos. Great renown. But if you go to war, you have playoffs. You can stay home, be a good man, a good father, a good grandfather, live a peaceful and honorable life, but no one will ever remember you. But if you go to war, she said, you will, be, you, you will become the greatest warrior of all time in literature. You'll be a violent, a victorious, and the proudest of men, and you have playoffs. Now, it's hard, it's unusual starting a sermon like that. But why did I do that? When I, I used to be a hippie, and I used to have long hair. I used to drive in Wilmington with long hair, holy dungarees. You know, I, I, I finished Harvard. I uh, work, was working at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. I had a, doing drugs, living in a commune, living in a moral life. And I had a vision of Christ on the edge of the Charles River. And I was caught up into heaven. I saw the New Jerusalem, and, and my life was. And I came to God, asked me if I, my heart. I was taken down to the Charles River. The earth was open. I, 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 I didn't say yes. I said, "Tomorrow, Lord." I was shown a vision of hell, and many you've heard it many times. I jumped through the plate glass window in the automobile store, storeroom, was cut severely, taken to the hospital, met Christ in the emergency room, and my life was transformed, absolutely transformed. But just before that. Just before that encounter, that summer, I had, that happened in the winter, I had gone to Alaska to go fishing. 
and I was living with the Haida Indians. You know, I was um, fishing on a salmon boat. And I remember my dad was living in Los Angeles, and I hitchhiked from Los Angeles to Seattle, up the coast, and then I took a plane from Seattle up to Ketchikan, Alaska. And uh, I didn't have a Bible. I wasn't a Christian yet. I was a few months away from becoming a Christian, but I had the Homer's Odyssey with me. And I read it. It was like my pre-Bible. And I would sleep out under the trees and under bridges, and I was moving up. And so um, it opened up a, a, a different world to me. Now, now you know why the, the Odyssey and Homer are so important. Uh, Homer said through the mouth of Odysseus, if they ever tell my story, let them say I walk with giants. And what I want to ask today is what will happen if one day they tell our story? What, what, what will they say about us? You know, what will they say about me? What will they say about you? Uh, there is a naked truth that we all have to face as Christians, and that is that every one of us will have their story told one day. One day, your story will be told. And one day, my story will be told. And uh, very few men will tell our story, but God will tell everyone's story. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we know that um, Homer won't tell our story, uh, but some will stand before the judgment seat of Christ if they're believers, have their story told, and some will stand before the white, great white throne of justice, of judgment, if they're unbelievers and sinners and have their story told. But in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, and I'm going to look for my Spanish here, says, because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will receive the recompense for their works, what they've done in their body, according to what they've done, whether it's good or whether it's bad or evil. Everyone, every Christian, every one of us will have his story told. One day you're going to have to, we're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, he's going to, in, in an instant, in an opening and a closing of the eye, he will communicate to you and to the whole creation, to the redeemed, to the angelic host, exactly who you are, what you've done, inside and out of your life. That's astounding. If you're a sinner, if you don't know God, in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 13, this is frightening. Revelations 20, 11 through 13. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. The question that I'd like to leave with Myrtle Grove this morning is that what history are you writing with your life? You know, what have you done so far? 
What will you do with the time that remains? Everybody is going to receive exactly what they've given and done for God. And we, I mean, me included, so much of what we do has very little eternal value. We should be living only for eternity, only for that great day. Now, you know, perhaps uh, the world won't remember. And, and for sure, none of us, I, I don't, probably nobody here will attain the kleos or renown before men. But uh, God's remembering and God knows. Uh, and when that day happens, I, I, I've been thinking, and, I, and I ma- I've made my decision a long time ago. Uh, I graduated in 1971 from Harvard Business School in Section J. Section J, by by Harvard Business School standards, is the most famous section of Harvard Business School, the richest, most renowned section to ever come out of Harvard Business School. And I'm the poorest member of Section J. (laughs) The, the, (laughs) you know, I didn't make it there. But um, we were trying to raise some money for Battelle, some of my old Harvard friends, and they got a conference call and had me on the conference call, you know, with a bunch of them, these fund managers and zillionaires. And they didn't know I was on the other end. And then one fellow who managed a great big fund in New York City, he said, I'm not going to be Tepper's banker. I'm not going to. I've got other charities, you know. And I thought, and he says, he doesn't know I'm listening, you know. And then he finally said, begrudge, he says, well, but I guess we can say that he's done better than all the rest of us. Certainly his kids are better than our kids. pretty good when you think about it yeah okay but uh, one day I'd like to say that if they ever tell my story let them say that Elliot walked with giants and I wrote this down I said and I said let them say that Elliot lived in the time of Billy Graham hallelujah in the time of Horace Hilton in the time of Steve Mattis Jim Glasgow Right? And they're wise. And let them say they lived in the time of Paul Johansson and A.S. Worley, in the time of Raul Castro and Manuel El Basco, in the time of the great Bethlehem, in the time of Ed and Ann Pitts, Bob and Catherine Warwick, Glenn and Nancy Kling. So many. So many. I, can, I can just name everybody, you know. And let them say that. that, that uh, I lived in the time of the great Bethlehem from San Blas and around the world. Those broken and Wicked lives that were transformed by the grace of God. And they went on to change the destiny of nations. Let them say that I lived in the time of those people. And let them say that I lived in the time of Kent Martin, Carlos Keith Bergmeier, Lindsay McKenzie, and Eduardo and Ivan, and Pino and Paco. You don't know these names. <laughs> well, Carl, you know, David, David Noemi Tepper, you know. Yeah, hallelujah. They're there. And Rafa, and Tomas, and Hilario, and Fulgencio, and David, and Fran, and Pedro, and Mario, and Raul, and all the Betalitos in our time. And it says in Hebrews 11, verse 32, and it says, And what more can I say because time would fail me to tell you the names of all the other heroes of faith. See, Paul said there's so many great heroes of faith. And he lists about 20 or 30. He says, but time fails. I can't tell you all. Let them say that we lived in the time of giants. You want to live in the time of giants? You, can, you want to be one of those giants? See, you, you would be surprised who the giants are. We had uh, Alberto's mother, Conchi. She's the oldest surviving mother of a Betalito. 
Carmen and Conchi. She's, she's about this tall. We built a little uh, upper room in my, on my back closed patio. It's only four and a half feet high ceiling. She can walk through it without bending her head. <laughs> she's only that big. She's just tiny. Well, she's, she lives, she's, they're poor people. She lives on the, on the fifth floor of a walk-up. And, as she was, and she's 78 years old, and she you know, stands at the door and greets everybody. About six months ago, she fell down the stairs carrying her groceries, and she fractured her skull. She broke her, separated her skull from, from, the, from her spine, only connected by the medulla. She, you know, she really broke her arm, really hurt herself. She never missed a beat. She preached to the emergency people all the way. You know, she, she, she never lost consciousness. She never lost feeling. Her skull was not... A, are there any doctors here? She, only the medulla holding. She didn't have the, bone, the skull attached to any bone. And they put titanium plates in her. She's six months. She's back preaching the gospel again. She's just two inches shorter now. <laughs> she's a hobbit. You know, she's a, she's a hobbit. And she, but she, she's amazing. So, what am I, I'm, I'm losing my sermon here. Okay. And, and, and so the writer of Hebrews said, says, what more can I say? For time would fail me to mention all those heroes of faith. Um, but some people are probably listening right now and they're saying, um, but I'm not a giant. You know, what hope is there for me? Uh, well, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, verse 19, the great prince of Israel, Nehemiah, he cried out to God at the end of his ministry and he said, Remember me for good, oh my God. Remember me for good of all that I did for your people. A great prince, he said, just, you know, when they write my story, just let them remember me for good, for all that I did. And, on the, and if you look in uh, Luke 23, verses 42 and 43, you don't have to go there, but when the, when the two thieves were dying on the, uh, uh, next to Jesus on, on the cross, the one thief turned to Jesus and he said, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. So, and then Jesus said to him, surely I say unto you that this day you shall be with me in paradise. So God remembers big sinners and little sinners and big saints and little saints. If they ever tell my story, let them say, I walk with giants. And I did everything that I did for God, for his kingdom. Um, and there is one thing we never want to hear in Matthew chapter 7 Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23 Jesus turned to the Pharisees and he said not everyone who says to me he's speaking to the religious He's speaking to the, the members of the congregation of God, the Jews, and, the, and, the, and, and, and we can see it, say that to our Christian religious brethren today, and to ourselves. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? They're charismatic, Pentecostals too. And your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If they ever tell my story in that day, let them say, if, if, if my story is ever told, which it will be told, either at the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne, let them say, I walked in righteousness with giants. I walked in faith and did the will of God. Um, for the new generation, uh, you know, I, I notice that when we in worship, we have the lights are not they're sort of blue and it gets, it gets a little lower. I was preaching at a youth church, the big one in Madrid recently. They asked me to speak to young people. I'm an old dinosaur, a missionary before electricity. I don't know why they invited me. But I got up there, and, I, and there was no lights in the church. And I said, I can't read my sermon. I said, don't you have an iPad? How you, well, you, 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 I said, I use a Bible. <laughs> and, I've, and I've got papers. Oh, pa- paper. <laughs> they, were just, they, wanted, they wanted to touch it. They just wanted to... Wanted to sort of, I said, this is... I'm not kidding. Paper. So then they, they got me a flashlight. So I had to preach with my flashlight. We have, we have the biggest building in Spain. The biggest, you know, it's a, seats as much as a cathedral. Like 1,300 people. And we rent it out because that's where they have, the evangelicals want to have big meetings. Every, we're getting to the point now where we, we, we rent it out with one condition. They can't eat. You know, chicken in the, in the, in the they, they don't have picnics in the middle of the meeting, and they're not allowed to pay, put paper over. They, everyone wants to block out all the light of the windows. They put all the lights out. Church has to have a multimedia show and has to be dark, and so. But then they leave the tape on the windows. It's a mess. So, but anyhow, I have I can see I can see my notes here. Okay, forgive me. Where am I? Okay, for the new generation. I want to say this, that nothing is forgotten. It's all in the cloud. <laughs> everything. Everything is in the cloud. It's all, everything. Everything you've done, everything the IRS has done, all their email, it's all in the cloud. It'll, it will come out. And... Um, it's in the divine internet. Every word. See, God, God created the universe with the Logos. And He maintains the universe with the Logos. And He remembers everything that's ever happened in the universe through the Logos. It's all in the cloud. If they ever tell your story, and they will tell your story, everything will come out. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, which we'll try to conclude now. Um, I still think Paul wrote Hebrews, but anyhow. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is the word of his power that created everything. It's the word of his power that will judge everything. And in the word of his power, everything is recorded. And that should make us tremble. With hope, 
and fear. Now, um, I missed the plane on Thursday in Madrid. There was traffic jam, and usually you can, you can you arrive two hours early for an international flight, you're okay. Well, what happened was there was a traffic jam, and I arrived one hour and five minutes before my flight left, and they moved the U.S. Airways flight from Terminal 1, the smaller terminal, to the new second largest terminal in the world, Terminal 4. And you have to take a 20-minute, half-hour train ride to get from one end to the So they wouldn't let me board the plane, so I missed my flight. And I, and I, and I could have made it, but they wouldn't let me. So they, 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 they bumped me to the next flight, uh, but I had to, instead of going to Char- directly to Charlotte, North Carolina, they sent me to Kennedy. They said, but then your next flight, you're going to have to take a bus to LaGuardia. And I had to take a bus to LaGuardia. And then from LaGuardia, they said they sent me to Charlotte. And then from Charlotte, they sent me to Wilmington. And then there were thunderstorms, and there was, it was just chaos. All the flights were late, late. I, I was so jet-lagged and so tired and so worn out. And, but I, I, had to, I got, had to sit in a number of airports and study people. And so, yeah. And I and I and I know and I know I notice the difference between the travelers. There are travelers who are very wealthy, and there are people like us. <laughs> and there is a big difference. You can notice in the clothing they wear. You can notice in the jewelry they wear. You can notice in the case they carry. You can notice where they sit and what they where they eat and where they the lounges they go to. There is a big difference between travelers, and. Uh, some have all the trappings of success and kleos. <laughs> you can see kleos if you, if you have discernment. And, um, and all, usually they're in the, pride of lot, in the prime of their life, especially in New York. You can see these, you know, uh, they, they arrive there, they, they're all the elite of the world. They either go to London or to New York. <laughs> so two, two markets where the real estate never goes down in value. Manhattan and London. And uh, beauty, strength, health, they're healthy and they're lean. You, they're never overweight. They're always the exercise. You can see who they are. They have the kleos. Uh, and I thought, I'm one jet lag average traveler. And I wonder what they're thinking about me. <laughs> you know, I have baggy pants and I'm sweaty and I smell and I'm tired. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm going to be 68 years old and these people are, you know, 35, 45, they're in the prime, they really, and I'm just this old, worn-out traveler. I wonder what they're thinking about my life. And, and it reminded me of the story, you've probably heard it before, of an old missionary who had gone to Africa, spent 30 years in Africa, his wife died in Africa, his children died in Africa, buried his wife, his children, and he was returning home on a boat in the early, in the early part of the uh, 20th century. And he was on the same ship Teddy Roosevelt was on, returning from a great safari in Africa. And when he got to New York in the harbor, there was a band playing, and there were crowds and multitudes, and they were shouting, and they received Teddy Roosevelt as a great hero. And this old missionary, he spent 30 years in the field, his wife had died, his sons and daughters had died, and no one was there to meet him, nobody from his church, even the mission forgot to come. And he got off the ship, and he said, Lord, this is not fair. That man is just going to kill elephants. And they're receiving him as a hero. And I've given my life for you, for the gospel. And my family has laid down their life for you. And he said, Lord, this is not fair. And then the Lord said to him, Son, 
He has arrived home, but you haven't arrived home yet. You haven't arrived home yet. See, your story is written. It will be read. And you will be received. And you won't receive clails from men, but you receive fame and honor from God. Now, let's pray. My Bible. New modern churches don't have big pulpit don't have big pulpits either, but you do. So. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, thank you for this, this very serious and yet joyful moment. I ask you to bless every member of Myrtle Grove. Let every one of our lives matter for God. Lord, let us be and do all that you want us to be. And Lord, let, let us conform our lives to the God of love and help us to seek true, lasting, eternal honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.